John 19, verse 16 through 22. Let us hear then the breathed out word of God to us. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. As far as the reading of God's word, I ask you to keep this passage before you as well. Let's bow in prayer. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, once again, we praise you for the opportunity to open your word. And we, <clears throat> Father, just ask your blessing on it. And we pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob this morning as he brings this message. As we consider, dear Father, the, the passion of our Lord and Savior, especially in this coming week. And Father, as we, as we celebrate uh, a risen Christ, we're reminded of, uh, of our suffering Savior. And Father, we just uh, pray that uh, we will not leave this place unaffected, but we'll be more devoted, fully followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in his name alone that we pray, amen. Amen. I want to commend you brothers as elders for uh, your constant vigil of being on task for praying for the offertory and after the scripture. Uh, for those of you here last week, Sunday, uh, the new guy on the list, me. Forgot, So it wasn't uh, your elders who, who didn't, it was uh, myself who was on the list for last Sunday night. Uh, so that led to the awkward moment, but also some interesting exchanges I hear in families. So uh, perhaps there was some good to come of that. I want to look at three things uh, from our passage this morning. The inscription, the controversy and the reality. Those will be our three main points. The, the inscription, the controversy, and the reality. We've been uh, in this series of messages, for those of you who may be visiting this morning, uh, on the words around the cross. These are the, the words that are being spoken, words that are being uttered by others, not the, the seven sayings from the cross, although those certainly are intermingled with the exchanges that are taking place. But there are other conversations, there are other words that are being communicated that day around the cross. One of which has been there the whole time, from the time that the cross was erected until the time that the cross is taken down. It is words that are over the head of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is the words of this inscription that Pilate has written. 
words that, that are supposed to convey something, words that bring about a controversy, words that are indeed in some respects a reality, but in others they are not. So first of all, let's take a moment to reflect upon this inscription. This was the common practice. The, this placard, this inscription that is placed over the head of Jesus is nothing new. Most likely, and if we follow the, the historical pattern that is there, the two robbers on either side also have their inscription. Pilate is doing nothing new. He's not inventing something here specifically for Jesus. He is doing that which is common. It was common to place a, pack, a placard with the charges listed against the criminal. After all, Rome was to signify law and order. They were not a, an empire of chaos. They were an empire of codified laws. There were rules, there were regulations, there were courts, there were trials, there were rights that individuals had. We just don't hang people out on crosses for the fun of it. There is a reason why these men are dying. Nor is the fact that they are crucifying three men upon this day an unusual event. We are told that even at the time of Jesus fleeing to Egypt as an infant, when Joseph and Mary take him there, that somewhere along about that same period of time, there were a great number of crucifixions that took place. And so this has, has been common. This takes place frequently. This is not some rare occasion. And in that regard, how sad is it not that the Lord Jesus Christ is dying the death that is not unusual at all for the Romans or for the Jews. An inscription, a writing, charges being treated as a common criminal. That's one thing that John points our attention to. Secondly, he appoints our, our attention to the fact that the words that Pilate writes and places there as the charge against Jesus are written in three languages. This probably is unusual. This probably was not the most uh, usual thing or common thing to take place. There might have been a particular reason and focus that, that Pilate wants to make sure everybody who passes by this particular cross knows the charge. And so he writes it in Aramaic, the common language of the people. This is the vernacular. This is what most people who are passing by would be speaking. But he also writes it in Greek, the current language of the day, that which was being used for, for most official transactions in terms of the events of the day. So if there were those perhaps who are traveling to or from Jerusalem that day, 
upon this road who may not be from Palestine, who may not know the Aramaic language because they're, they're not native there. They may have come for the Passover from distant places are going to know what that inscription says because it's written in the common language of the day, the current language of the day, Greek. But he also wrote it in Latin, the official language of the day. It's probably what the charges against the two thieves were written in, although we can't say that for sure, but that would make some sense. This was the official declaration of Rome, therefore it was written in Latin. So you have the common, the current, the official. All can read, all can read at least one of these languages. Even these Roman soldiers who are involved in the crucifixion itself can read the charge. The centurion who is going to play a, an important role as we come to our, our service uh, on, on Thursday night and we think about his words at the cross can read what's up there. They all know the language. Well, what is it that Pilate has written? Well, according to to Matthew, the Matthew text reads, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Mark records the inscription as the King of the Jews. Luke records it as this is the King of the Jews. John, as we read here, records it as Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now you'll note, first of all, there is not the same. That, that every gospel writer has not recorded the exact same words in their entirety. What, how do we explain that? Well, one means of explanation is that they're translating. They are, they are translating perhaps the Greek, perhaps the Latin. And as they make those translations, it doesn't always come out the same. And so you have this written in four in three different languages with four different men bringing to bear their interpretation of the language and interpreting the language as it was written from other witnesses because three of the men who wrote were not there Matthew was not there Mark was not there Luke was not there the one who is there is John and therefore, in John, we have basically the fullest text. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. But there is a remarkable similarity, is there not? Each of the gospel writers is telling us what the charge is. And the charge is the King of the Jews. That's why he's on the cross, according to Rome. Truth be known, it's why he's on the cross to the religious leaders as well, but in a completely different way of understanding it. So there are those words 
on a placard. They're, they're not just spoken once and drift off into the air. Just stop and think of how many conversations must have taken place at this cross that we have not recorded. How many words, for example, were exchanged between the various women who were followers of Jesus who are at the cross? Were there other exchanges between Mary and John? What other conversations did those Roman soldiers have over the course of those six plus hours that they're there? What other things were said by chief priests and religious leaders? What other words got exchanged between those other two criminals? We are not told. In fact, what we are told is relatively very brief, very short. Even the words of Jesus are not long, are they? We don't have any large discourses given. But these words, King of the Jews, stands over the entire process. For seconds, for minutes, for hours, those words, King of the Jews, are repeated again and again and again. In fact, that inscription has a voice that doesn't cease, does it? Most likely, everybody who passed by, whether in their mind or verbally, repeated those words. King of the Jews. Words, interestingly, that are above the head of Jesus, that he cannot even see, humanly speaking. And yet there they repeat, and there they speak. That inscription, which seems to be pretty straightforward, right? King of the Jews, if we take it as far as what all four gospel writers declare to us, certainly causes quite a controversy. We read in John's gospel here that the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Now first of all, note the concern. The concern that these priests have is over the fact that many, Many of the Jews read this inscription because this is a busy place. People keep reading this. And, and there has to be some wondering. There has to be some questioning. There has to be some pondering. So there, the controversy erupts. And it's really three questions that are, that are, that are a part of the controversy. 
The first is a question of authority. Look at the way in which these men, these chief priests of the Jews, approach Pilate. Remember how hesitant they were? Remember how careful they were during the trials? Now note, they come to Pilate, do not write. It's a demand. We're in charge here. We're in control here. You got it wrong. Change it. We don't like what's up there. And we're ordering you. Change it. See, this is a question of authority. See, they got their way, didn't they? They know that they have Pilate in the palm of their hand. They got him to do the very thing he was hesitant to do. To crucify a man against whom he has found no guilt. Who has tried to offer them a different prisoner who would indeed cause the very problems they say Jesus would cause. Oh, they've got Pilate wrapped around their fingers so tight. And they know it. We don't like what's on the placard. We don't like the inscription. Let's quickly go to Pilate and have him change it. Do not write. See, it's a question of authority. Who's in charge? We don't know how many hours transpired. It would appear that this part, this section occurs almost at the beginning of the hours on the cross. So it, it's almost as if, you, you have to look at it as, it's almost as if these men have come to the cross, they see it laying down there on the ground, they see that the inscription has been put on, and it's like somebody go to Pilate quickly, some of you get there, tell him he got the inscription wrong. And before we raise this cross, with this title on it, with this charge, get them to change it. It's a question of authority. From Pilate's point of view as well. Who really is in charge here? This is a Roman execution. We will decide the charges. You see the, the controversy. It's a controversy of authority. Secondly, it's a controversy and a question of weakness. Pilate, how weak am I going to look if I cave into this? this? 
how, how silly this is going to look for me. If suddenly I send another soldier with another placard, run him out to, to Golgotha, have him take that inscription off the cross and have him put this other inscription on. People are going to think, what kind, of, what kind of law is this? What kind of justice is this? We change the charges in the middle? We can't do that. That is wrong. That is unfair. You can't just change the charge. How weak am I going to look? I already gave them Jesus. What is Rome going to think of me? What are my soldiers going to think of me? What's the centurion going to think of me? What's Herod going to think of me? It's a question of weakness, is this controversy. Not only is it a question of authority, but it's also on the opposite side, a question of weakness. But it also is for the chief priests. They don't want the entire nation to be humbled. How weak they look. King of the Jews. See, those words from Pilate that he places upon that cross are a dagger in the soul of every Jew. You try to rebel. You try to rise up against us. This is what happens to insurrectionists. Here's your king. Look what Rome can do. And the religious leaders are, let's not Go this far. Change it. Change it. Change it to what? That he said, I am the king of the Jews. See, now it all comes on Jesus. Now there's no reflection upon the nation. Now it's not like the nation acknowledged this. Now it's not like the nation was following this. Now it's just this man, this lunatic, this crazy guy out of Nazareth who proclaimed himself to be a king. Absolutely, the guy deserves to die on a cross. But don't make our whole nation look weak. Thirdly, it's a question of altering. Will we change? Pilate answers, what I have written, I have written. Now, we've been studying in our Wednesday night uh, evening Bible study, going through uh, Ezra and Daniel and so on. And, you know, we keep coming back to that law of the Medes and the Persians, you know, that once it's there, it cannot be changed. I don't know if technically that was part of the Roman culture or not, but he certainly seems to be indicating that. Look, the decision has been made. It is a judicial decision. And I'm not changing it.
but he's also doing it because he knows the maliciousness of their hearts. We learned that during the trials, that, that Pilate was attuned to the fact that they're doing this out of envy. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of having their maliciousness and envy go any further. This is it. What I have written, I have written. And there it stands. Controversy is over. But the words are still there. King of the Jews. Let's consider the reality of those words. Thirdly, this morning, is Pilate's statement that he writes on the cross true? Matthew, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Mark, the king of the Jews. Luke, this is the king of the Jews. John, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Are those words true? And the answer is, absolutely they're true. They are certainly true. We know they're true prophetically. This is who Jesus is. He is king of the Jews. He is the son of David. All those Old Testament prophecies looking forward to the one who is going to be the king. Is he a king? Absolutely. Is he the king of the Jews? Assuredly. That's what the triumphal entry was all about, isn't it? That's why on this Palm Sunday, we're, we're focused on that. Our call to worship from that we read from Psalm 118, uh, of, that we see the fulfillment of taking place that day as Christ rides into Jerusalem. The fulfillment of the prophecy from the, the prophet Zechariah about he's coming, riding on the donkey. We see it in the palm branches, but we hear it in their shout. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. Hosanna in the highest. What is Palm Sunday about other than an acknowledgement that Jesus is the king of the Jews? And does Jesus say, stop it. Hold the phone here. We, you guys are way off. No, to the one people who want the parade stopped, Jesus said, if they stop shouting, the stones are going to cry out. Come back tonight and see how that came true. He is the king of the Jews. All the actions, all that's transpiring, all the words of that triumphal entry are pointing us to this truth. This is Jesus of Nazareth who is the king of the Jews. Pilate was absolutely right. He is 100% correct. Yet, He's wrong. He's wrong because 
it's only partially true. It's true, and it speaks the truth, but it was only partially true. You see, Jesus and Pilate had a little exchange. The little exchange was about kingdom. It took place back in John chapter 18. You go back to that section, John chapter 18. Pick it up at verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Is Pilate's charge correct? Yes, but no. He's heard it from Jesus himself that my kingdom is spiritual. My kingdom is not about a group of people. My kingdom is not about a land sphere. My kingdom is not about 30 by 60 miles in the Middle East. My kingdom has nothing to do with one distinct race of people and one distinct patch of land. My kingdom is not of this world. And it never was, and it never will be. Christ's kingdom is spiritual. And even though he has told Pilate this directly, Pilate is denying the reality of the truth of who Jesus is. The placard should have said, Jesus of Nazareth, whose kingdom is not of this world. Hard to execute a man for such, isn't it? There's no charge in that. Pilate would be saying, no harm, no foul. Well, you're not dealing with overthrowing Roman, are you? No. Go your way. But he needs a charge. So he takes the truth and uses it against Jesus. The very same thing that the first Adam dealt with in the garden, isn't it? That Satan takes the truth and uses it against God's Adam. And here comes the second Adam, and Satan again seeks to limit, twist, and distort the truth this time 
throw a placard over the head of Christ. King of the Jews. Yes? No. No, not only because it's a spiritual kingdom, but because it isn't the whole truth. It is far too limited. It is far too small. In the few minutes we have remaining, go with me on a journey through the gospel of John. We're going to start in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, it's not sin of the Jews. See, he didn't come to the Jews. He came to the world. To take away the sin of the world. Continue on with me. John chapter 3. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. King of the Jews, you see, is too, too limited. For who Jesus truly is. Go down to verse 19. Of John 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things. Hates the light. And does not come to the light. Lest his works should be exposed. Let's go over to John chapter 4. Verse 42, after the exchange with the woman at the well, John 4, 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Go to John chapter 6. In verse 35, 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All who come to me, I never cast out. Go to verse 48, same chapter. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Turn to one more passage written by this very same apostle. The book of Revelation, chapter 19. Before we read that as our conclusion this morning, do you get it? Do you see why the placard, yes, it was true, but it really wasn't. Not just because Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. But it's not limiting, like both the chief priest and Pilate wants to make it. Christ is king of the world, of the universe. Christ is king of all that is. The one hanging there, dying on that cross, is king not of a limited race of people or of acreage of land. But his kingdom is a kingdom that has no end. Is he yours? Well, he is in a certain sense because scripture says that when he comes again, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But those you see are those who have no hope of eternity. They will acknowledge. They will be on their knees. But there is no more repentance from the denial of that truth. Is he your king? Is he the one leading 
So that wherever he leads, you will follow. That wherever he goes, you will go. Wherever he sends, you will gladly respond. You see, the reality that John received in the book of Revelations was this truth. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in white linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. Not king of the Jews. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And God's people say, Amen.